the prophecy of Isaiah to our Savior in chapter 42 of the book of Luke, of the book of Isaiah. So in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look this morning at, of course, the Lord Jesus was born of a woman, born of a under the law, as Paul tells us in Galatians. <coughs> Here we see that uh, <coughs> as he was circumcised and also he was presented. His mother, after the day of her cleansings, uh, she would present an offering to the Lord. As we go back to Leviticus law to see that's what they were supposed to do. Now, <coughs> this tells us they're status as for economic or financial status because they were poor it uh, you know to have a a uh, full-grown lamb and perfect without blemish without spot uh, that would cost some money after a while especially if you weren't a shepherd and you had to buy one and so of course they didn't have that and all this young couple had was and of course we see that they were able to give a pair of turtle doves and, and uh, two young pigeon, or two young pigeons, as the Lord had said, uh, and so this was something that uh, the poorer people gave as an offering to the Lord, especially after a child was born. It's interesting how that um, even though they were poor, how that God had greatly supported this couple, and especially Mary who is going to bear the weight of the world as far as uh, she is the one person in all of history that is going to bring forth the Messiah. And of course, being a young lady, young girl, 17, 18 years old, uh, it's interesting how the Lord uh, gave her Elizabeth. Elizabeth was, uh, and of course, uh, we also see she had a loving husband that, uh, and that God had appeared to him. And then we see Simeon and Anna, older people that God now, right at the time that this baby is going to be dedicated to the Lord, the Lord reaffirms to Mary um, that uh, she's in the will of God. And that's why the church is so important. That is why we as Christians are so important. If God is working in someone else's life, then many times he will use you or me to come along and just say a word or to be an offer and encouragement. And many times we have no idea what we have done. Uh, I will have people walk up to me that years later say, Pastor, something you said back years ago has stuck with me. And I go, what did I say? <laughs> or whatever. And, uh, and you've had that happen in your life too, hasn't, haven't you? Where people have really changed your life simply by offering a little bit of encouragement or letting you know that they missed you or whatever else in life. And maybe some of them weren't so um, dramatic. And sometimes I look back on some things I was mentioning Wednesday night. I got a letter from uh, a man that I highly respected uh, in my early days in the ministry. And he had written me about a page, uh, a, a letter of about three pages. And uh, I read the letter and I was really encouraged by it and so forth, but I never really thought about the amount of time and the effort that it took for that very busy, successful man to take, take to write me a letter or a guy out in Podunk doing nothing. I mean, or feeling like I was doing nothing. And yet it, that was such an encouragement to me. 
And now I'll look back on my life and say, Lord, help me to, to be that person. Help me to be that encourager. And even though they might not appreciate it as much now, maybe later on in life, 40, 50 years later, maybe they look back on and say, that was a real blessing in my life. Have you ever had that happen where you didn't realize you were being blessed until later on? And so here we have Simeon and Anna. And of course, we're just going to look at Simeon today, but older folks. But they were spiritual people. And one of the things about it was they were, and everybody who was waiting on God, remember last week, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. There's two aspects of waiting. There's waiting for his coming. And there's also the waiting on him as a servant, as a lady in waiting or as a, as a, as a waiter. And so we serve him by, and we wait on him. We're waiting on uh, the inheritance that we're going to have. And this is what we see with Simeon. And God reveals himself to him. And he reveals himself in such a way to Simeon that even the disciples didn't understand until way later on. And so we begin reading in verse 25. He says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Messiah. Whenever you see Christ, that is um, Greek for the Hebrew word Messiah. So the Lord's Messiah. Uh, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, to, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring to uh, revelation to the Gentiles and a glory and the glory of your people. And Joseph and Mary marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined to fall to the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." Father, we pray that you will bless the reading and the preaching of your word. May we gain a whole new appreciation of what you have done and the price that you paid for our salvation. That we can glory in your presence in our hearts and in our congregation this morning. That we can sense, Lord, your leading. And that we can appreciate the great grace that you've bestowed upon us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be like Simeon or Anna, that you can use us as a encouragement to others that may be doing greater works than we'll even dream of doing, as the Lord Jesus was to Simeon. So bless, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So we see that Simeon was an older man. He was a man that, uh, as we look at this, we see that he was filled with the Spirit. Now, a lot of people say, well, the people couldn't be filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament. Well, here we see before the cross, there was, you, know, you can be led by the Spirit even in the Old Testament. And so it wasn't so much that you came and gave those offerings and all those rituals uh, and the uh, sacrifices that made you spiritual. It was the, the, this was what was to remind you of what God was going to do for you when he came. And so those people, and one thing I like to say, and I've never seen any difference, and everybody that is in, that uh, was looking for the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, always found him. So those who were waiting on him, those who knew there was something out there that God had promised, they always found him. And here we see that Simeon was, one, was the first. He was looking. He was waiting for the consolation. He was looking for the consummation of, uh, of this promise of, that goes way back to Job, the first book of the Bible written. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. He's out there. He's, he's, and, I, and one day I'll see him. And so, and of course, we go through, uh, we go through uh, Moses or Abraham and Moses, and they were looking Moses was looking for a city not made with hands. They were looking forward to this Messiah who was going to come. And so the whole idea of the ritual was to say, was, to, was, a, was a symbol of the things that he was doing. The blood that was shed was, of course, the lamb was going to be the lamb of God. And so whenever they would come and offer these offerings, they knew that that wasn't what uh, was the end game. They knew that God was coming. God was going to do something because the Messiah was going to come. Every uh, baby, every baby boy that was born, um, especially uh, <clears throat> during the time all the way up to Jesus, uh, especially uh, the last part of Israel's history uh, and before they went into captivity, they would have a party thinking that the mothers would think, maybe this is the Messiah. And so they were looking forward to this. And so this whole idea of offering a sacrifice was this would be, they would have a, a whole month of, of course, the it was a time of purification for the woman and so forth. And that was all part of the ritual that they would go through. But it was to dedicate that child to the Lord and that firstborn. And of course, that's where the Lord Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Not, not that he was uh, chronologically firstborn, but that he was the spiritual leader of all mankind. And so here we see the Messiah, this person who's going to come and deliver us from our difficulties, deliver us from our sin. They're looking forward to that. And he was looking forward to the consolation. And of course, the, uh, we see that also he's, that was meant that Israel is going to be the ruler of the world again. They were, going to, they were going to rule with him. And so they were looking forward to that. And yet uh, this man, God gave him a revelation that uh, even the disciples didn't understand until after the resurrection. And notice what he says. He says that, and he quotes as he goes down, uh, he, and he, he says, he quotes and he says, for my eyes have seen this, your salvation, verse 30, which you have prepared for the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Now he gets it directly from Isaiah chapter 42. And so he knew scripture. 
he knew, and, and, and Scripture pointed to the Lord. 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, Isaiah wrote this passage. And one of the great ways that we know that the Bible is inspired is by the fulfillment, the exact fulfillment of prophecy. And there's over a hundred prophetic utterances in the Old Testament about the Messiah that are fulfilled in the New Testament. And if they haven't been fulfilled, they will be fulfilled. And we know that right now the Lord came and he uh, came as a lamb of God. And we know that uh, he, that he suffered and died for us, just like Isaiah tells us. But, they, but the Jew was, there were two things they were like, they didn't understand that portion. And like so many of us, let's forget about that stuff. We don't understand that, but let's look at the good stuff. And that is the Lord Jesus, we're going to rule with him one day and Jerusalem's going to be the capital and all this stuff. And so, and so what happened was uh, that Israel started thinking politically rather than spiritually. And so many people missed the Lord. Even the theologians, think about it. Those wise men came and, and they said, hey, listen, where's the Messiah? And they said, we know he's supposed to be born here somewhere. And the theologians, they knew where it was. They said, it's in Bethlehem. If they knew the scripture, why didn't they follow the wise men? I mean, something was happening, but yet because they did not spiritually know, because they were not given to spiritual things, they had a, uh, they had a head knowledge, but they didn't have a heart knowledge of the Lord. And as a result, it all became religion. It became just mechanical. And so they knew everything about what the Messiah was supposed to do, but they missed him. And here we have a man that's very humble. He's looking for the Lord. He's, uh, for we don't know much about him other than the fact that he really uh, followed the Lord Jesus. And God revealed himself to him. Folks, that's what, what we want. We talk about on Wednesday night about knowledge and understanding. A knowledge is we know that what the Bible says. And there are people that have memorized chapters and chapters of the Bible. I understand that Joseph Stalin had memorized large portions of the New Testament. And yet he was one of the biggest uh, monsters of the 20th century. And so simply because you, you have been exposed to the Word of God doesn't mean that, that you know the God of the Word. And here we know, we see that uh, these people, they knew the word, but folks, uh, they, simply because you know it doesn't mean that you have it in your heart. And we see that uh, there are so many of uh, these the scribes and Pharisees, and of course he talks about the, um, the scribes. They were the ones who were the theologians of the day. And they knew exactly where he was supposed to be born, and yet they missed his birth. And we see that Simeon, said this. But then another thing about Simeon that he understood, and he talked to Mary. You can imagine, you, you just see this. Here's a young girl and with the weight of the world on her shoulders, realizing how, my, I mean, not everybody's going to believe the circumstances around here. I mean, my own relatives aren't going to understand that God did this. And then, of course, Joseph, he's Having to, of course, he's going to be kicked out or he's going to be ostracized, uh, uh, lonely as far as a man is concerned by not by accepting what had happened as far as a child uh, being 
being conceived out of wedlock as far as the world was concerned. And yet we see that they're faithful and they are doing everything that the law tells them to do. And, uh, and you can imagine how uncertain they were even in life. Now, of course, you have to realize and chronologically, they still were broke. And it would, they had to stay around Jerusalem or around Bethlehem for quite a while because uh, those wise men didn't come until about uh, a year later. And so here we got, you know, the, the, this, this was something that went on. And then, of course, uh, we have all the problems of the, dan- the danger with Herod looking for them and so forth. And that's the reason Herod killed all the children that were 200 or two years old and younger, because he wanted to make sure he got all of them. I mean, so we see that it wasn't that he was just born right there. So this was a long extended trial for Mary and for Joseph. But notice it says that, uh, that, Joseph, that he picked that baby up and he held, her, held him in his arms. And then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And then he goes on in verse 35. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He knew about the suffering servant. He knew that Mary would be at that cross watching her son die an agonizing death. Can you imagine being a mother like that? So it was a, you can imagine the emotions that this young girl went through where you have these people encouraging her and yet telling her, that there's some very difficult things ahead. And so, yes, she's blessed among women, but oh my, like so many people that have gone before us, and especially the Lord Jesus, there's a price to be paid in order to win the world to Jesus Christ. And so we see that, uh, that Mary and Joseph were, were people that we, that I'm sure they've got great honor in the Lord, or in heaven. But oh my, folks, it takes something to take the, the Bible and take the Word of God to a lost and dying world. Now turn with me back over to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied all this back, and, uh, and we see that, uh, we saw that in chapter 40, where he says, you know, he says, sing, sing anew. And in other words, he was saying to the people after, he says, comfort ye my people. And this was a, a time of comfort, just like what Simeon was doing. And so we see that uh, with Psalm, uh, actually Psalm from, uh, I want to say Psalm because it's one long poem, but Isaiah chapter 40 through 48 deals with, uh, with our with our Lord and with the servant of the Lord as a servant. And in doing so, or the, the excuse me, the supremacy of the servant uh, that uh, the Lord is. And so we see that uh, if you turn, we see that he is talking, let's just turn back to chapter 41. And we see that he's talking to these Israelites. Or, and he says, uh, keep sight us before uh, me, you coastlines. And he says, let the people renew their strength uh, for them come near, then let them speak, let them come near together in judgment. So he says, listen, I got some things I want to talk to you about. And then he goes through another series of questions that he asked them, like we saw in Psalm, in Psalm or uh, chapter 40. 
But we see that he says, um, who raised uh, up one from the east? And he's going to go through this. And he's going to, and if you look at this, as you read this passage, you will see that he is already talking about a man that he's going to identify in chapter 45 as Cyrus. Chapter 45, verse 1. But he's saying, you know, and the comfort is that you're going to come back to, to this, to Israel, that you're going to be restored. And we see that now we got to remember that this was right after, if you look in chapter 39, this was right after the deliverance of the children of Israel from Assyria. And Babylon now was just a small little uh, nation that was going to conquer. And the Lord had told them that uh, through Isaiah, uh, through chapter 39, that one day they're going to conquer you and take you away captive. But then he goes and he goes ahead another 150 years and says, you're coming back again. And there's going to be a, a king named Cyrus uh, who's going to be a Persian who's going to let you, going to bring you back to this land. And of course, we know that's where we have Isaiah, or we have Ezra and Nehemiah and so forth, where the children did come back from Israel. But so there was a comfort there. And yet that wasn't the final time, but or the, the final uh, gathering of his people. But so we see that um, this was something that God is saying. And he, but the thing that he's really coming down on them about, as you go through this, you'll see that he's talking about the idols that they're still worshiping. And he really gets on them. Um, he, and uh, notice in verse 21, We'll just have to go through this. Well, there's a, let me just give you a couple of verses where he says, comfort my people. Notice these are verses that we, can, that we use. Notice uh, ver, verse 8 of chapter 41. He says, but you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I've chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. And isn't that a great... I would like to be known as God's friend, wouldn't you? That's one of those times in the Bible. Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you from the farthest regions. In other words, I love you, but because you have rejected me, you're going to have some real problems. And he says, but notice one of the things that we can latch on to in verse he says, I have chosen you, but not in verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with the righteous right, with my righteous right hand. You know, those are verses that we could trust in ourselves. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Isn't that one of those great verses? There's so many words of comfort probably more than, well, more than any other uh, book in the Bible, especially any other section of the Bible, then we find God comforting his people. And here is well, one of those great verses, and we'll see many others. In fact, we'll make a list of them, of all the different comforts that God wants his people to have. And, and of course, prophetically, this was Israel. But, now he, but he had to deal with them about their sin. And he kept having to deal with them about their idolatry. Notice in verse 21, present your case, says the Lord, 
Bring forth your strong reasons, um, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. He's talking about the idols. You, you've made these idols, as we saw in chapter, 41, chapter 40. You have fashioned them after your own hands. Now you let them tell a prophecy. You let them t- tell you the answers to life. And he challenges. Hey, and much like, Isaiah, uh, like uh, uh, Elijah did. When Elijah said, uh, you know, he said, you know, pour a little bit more. Shout a little bit louder. And if your gods can do, bring fire down from heaven, of course, so he was mocking them. And here Isaiah is mocking the people. He says, these idols that you have, these things that don't mean amount to a hill of beans, and you are trusting them. And oh, folks, the idols, the idols of education that we're having today, the idols of entertainment. I mean, people are giving themselves over to anything but God. And how sad it is to see the things that are being passed as God today, or gods today. I, you know, we even, we call our entertainers goddesses. We, you know, we use all kinds of terms about, um, about people today that, that uh, makes it sound like uh, we're worshiping either what they do or what they, who they are. But then in chapter 42, and with our time is, he says, Behold my servant, and verses one through nine. And this is where he gets this. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, and whom my soul delights. Now where do we see that? Remember when the Lord Jesus was baptized and, he, and the, the Spirit came down upon him and he said, This is my beloved Son and whom I am well pleased. And so Isaiah is predicting it, and Jesus fulfilled it. I will put my spirit upon him. Yes, the Holy Spirit came down upon him. And even when he went to his synagogue, his hometown, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He knew what he was there for. Jesus was not some mistake that didn't understand where he was, what he was doing, and died a martyr's death. No, Jesus Christ came for a purpose, to die for you and me. And it was predicted 700 years ahead. It's interesting, the Lord, so these are the things that we know, uh, they were predicted, even the place where he was born, uh, 150 years later, uh, I mean, he predicts that uh, Cyrus is going to be there, and everything that uh, Isaiah prophesied, either, uh, if, especially about the birth of the Lord Jesus, has come to pass. Now, the things that he's prophesied about him being the king over all the earth, that's coming to pass. And one reason I am assured that's going to happen is because he's been 100% correct with everything that's been fulfilled so far. Just like uh, when he came to earth, the, the, you know, the disciples were looking for a conquering Messiah. But the Lord revealed to Simeon that he'd be a suffering Messiah also. And so we see that, it, uh, and then we see his character in verse 3. A bruised reed will he not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Now, that's the character of the Lord. He was going to be very gracious, and he was, uh, well, let's go back. He's also, he's going to, his voice will not be heard in the street. The idea there is that this smoking flax was, was just, 
flax was what they would use to put in a wick in a lamp, in a lamp. But if it had no oil, all it would do is smoke. And so he says, I'm not going to quench it. I'm going to fill it full of oil. And then he says, a bruised reed. That's, uh, that's, they would take reeds from the, from the, uh, the like all straws, or some of them could be st- thicker. And the thicker ones, they could actually take and cut off and make it. And the shepherds would use them for flutes and uh, entertaining the sheep and so forth. But a bruised reed was worthless. And yet we see that God says, and this is, you know, think about man. We're bruised. Israel was a bruised nation. It had a lot of smoke, but no fire. It had a lot of, a lot of, of smoke, but no oil. But it was the Lord Jesus who was going to come and supply that for man. He says, a voice he will not, uh, that, uh, that you've heard in the street, that he will not raise in the street. If you go back and look in, chapter, in Matthew chapter 12, you'll see that... Uh, Jesus healed a man with a withered heart, withered hand. And he told them, be quiet, don't tell anybody about it. But then the Pharisees who had been around it tried to kill him, wanted to kill him. And so we see that he did not, he did not, he was not a rubble rouser. That word there that he says he will not cause his voice uh, to be heard in, or that he will not cry out is a word that uh, it means he won't squawk like a crow. He won't bark like a dog. He wa- he's not going to be a person who's going to be out there uh, rebel rousing. You know, sometimes whenever I hear these uh, chants in the street from these uh, activists, I can't understand what they're saying yet that somebody has to tell me later on. But that's the idea. The Lord wasn't going to be a squawker. He wasn't going to be a, someone leading some revelation, revolution down the street. In fact, whenever people got uh, healed, he'd tell them to, Stay back. He didn't want to be known as a faith healer. But then whenever he said this, you go back and you, if you look, and we won't take time this morning to do so, but if you look in chapter, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, he, he quotes this exact uh, section from verse 2 through verse 4. And he said, this is the description of who Jesus Christ is. He's a man, he came unassumed. He was a, and he was, <clears throat> he came and he was going to be very gentle with the people. He's not going to be discouraged in verse four. He came, he set his feet, uh, excuse me, he set his feet, uh, he set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to go there to die. And so he wasn't going to be discouraged. And he established justice uh, until he established justice on the earth. Two things there. He justified us, and he, uh, and he will. So that's one thing he's done, but one day he will establish justice on the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So, folks, we're still waiting. So some of this hasn't been fulfilled. But then notice what he says in verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, says God the, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out. Thus, salvation goes back to creation. Time after time, we see this. If you look in, if, in, um, in Romans chapter 5, oh, what a great passage about uh, uh, the, the Lord saving us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
But then he goes right into salvation, talks about what he did. But that's in verse 8. But verse 12, he says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death came upon all men, for all have sinned. So who was that man? Adam. And so when did death happen? After sin. So there couldn't be any evolution. You look at the rest of that chapter, the first Adam, all die. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus, uh, all live. And so here we have the, the whole idea of creation and salvation are tied together. Folks, he created you and he wants to recreate you in the spirit because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But notice he says that he created, he created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread them forth the, forth the earth that which comes from it, who, goes, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Folks, God gives you the very breath you, re, you, you, you breathe today. I, as we get older, you start realizing just how many body parts can fall apart. Right, you realize just uh, how uh, that God remembers our frame that we're dust. We think we're going to live forever, or live like we're going to live forever, and yet God, no, He He keeps us He keeps us together, and ever even our breath is numbered by the Lord. And so, in doing that, notice in verse six, I, the Lord, have called you to in righteousness, the Lord Jesus, and will uphold you with uh, uphold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. You go back to Abraham, all the world's going to be blessed through the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. A light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles. That's what Simeon saw. That he was going to be a light to, the, to open their eyes to bring out prisoners from prison, that those who sit in darkness from the prison house of sin. And so we see that's exactly what Paul said. The Lord has commissioned me that I, that to turn people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan and to the Lord. And of course, the Lord, even when he said, he quoted some of this whenever he was in his synagogue, excuse me, in his uh, hometown synagogue, when he said, yes, that's what God has appointed me to do. And of course, that's uh, the exact quote comes from Isaiah 61, but to open eyes and to bring prisoners out of sin or out of prison and to those who are in darkness to light. Of course, John chapter one tells us that uh, the light shineth in darkness, the darkness comprehended in the night. But the Lord Jesus even came and he said, I am the light of the world. And so in verse eight, we see that he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. We hear a lot today, folks, about inclusion, that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to heaven and all those people who are sincere, as some people call him Allah, some people call him whatever, but, uh, but, but we call him Jesus. No, my friend, there's no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby men must be saved. People are saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not share his glory with Buddha. He will not share his glory with Allah. 
He will not share his glory with you or me. And so we see now he will reveal his glory and he will reflect his glory through us. But whenever we try to grab his glory, God has ways of bringing us down. He says, nor my praise to carved images. And that's the, that was the gist of Isaiah's day. Behold, the former things have come to pass. And now things I declare before they spring forth, I will tell you them. He's saying, I will prophesy. And he's going to start, he's going to continue now in giving both immediate history, what's going to happen, as well as he's going to talk about the suffering Messiah. <coughs> and he's going to talk about uh, the Lord Jesus coming. And then he's, of course, he's going to talk about the, and of course, the main thing that the Jew is looking for even today is that millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the desert will, will blossom like a rose, where the lamb shall lie down by the, by the lion. And Israel, Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the world. And that's how we see that preparation today. And we see as, as even Isaiah, as he, he keeps looking way to the future, and yet he speaks to, the, to them in the present. Back in the first 39 chapters, he talked about not only will you, will you have problems with Assyria, but then Babylon's going to come along and take you into... But then he's, in this chapter, he's dealing with Babylon, but then he's dealing with Persia is going to come along. And there's a guy named uh, Cyrus that is, going to, uh, that is going to let you go. You know, that's what the Bible tells us that Ezra... And Nehemiah actually took this passage and showed Cyrus. And that's one reason they were, they were allowed to come back to the promised land uh, 70 years later. And of course, then you go into the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel outlines history, Babylon, Persia, Greece. In fact, uh, uh, Greece, whenever uh, Alexander the Great uh, was conquering. He conquered Persia, just like the Bible said he would. And this was before Persia was even, you know, Persia was just a, a heyday. Uh, and yet, <clears throat> whenever Alexander the Great conquered Persia up in the north and he started swooping down into Egypt, he was, gonna, he was just burning everything along, along the way or plundering everything. But when he got to Jerusalem, uh, Josephus tells us, a, a historian, Jewish historian, tells us that the rabbis took the book of Daniel out and showed him what uh, the Lord had said about him conquering Persia and so forth. And uh, he says, you know, I kind of like that and left him alone. And so, and we've talked about how that uh, the regathering of the people, 1948, all these things, folks, that this, that's what we mean by if there's one thing that... Uh, that didn't come true about the Lord Jesus Christ from what Isaiah said, then we don't have to trust the Bible. But everything that he and Micah and others said came true just exactly like he said it would. And so we see that those who will wait on the Lord, those, and we have, we're living in a day today, much like Israel, where they'd given up on him. Israel had given up, pretty well had given up because now all of a sudden they were conquered by Rome. Rome had taken away their right of, of self-government as far as um, putting people to death. That's the reason they couldn't put Jesus to death. 
And so they thought the scepter has passed from Judah. That's what Isaiah chapter 49, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 49 said that uh, Israel will have a constant king. And the scepter was the idea of the power over life and death. I mean, remember, uh, <coughs> remember when Esther went in to see the king? And if that scepter wasn't put out there, she was dead. And so the scepter was the idea that the king had final authority over life and death. Well, when the Romans took away the Jews' right, and actually this happened when the Lord was about six years old, and uh, the predecessor to Pilate came in and said, we're not going to let the Jews you know, have their own uh, life or, or courts anymore. And they thought it was over. And that's one reason it turned so political. And of course, they didn't realize that uh, the scepter was the Lord Jesus who was now living among them up, in, up in, uh, in a little town called Nazareth. And so it's so interesting to see how all those things have come to be just like God says. Now we're living in the last days and just like Peter tells us, there's coming a day when people are gonna be saying, where's the promise of his coming? Well, you know, uh, I mentioned Anthony Fauci uh, today. So we don't need God anymore. I don't need God. It's our intrinsic value that really, uh, and all this kind of stuff. And folks, he was the head of boy. He, he had a great influence on, on our nation the last four or five years, hasn't he? In fact, he thinks he's a God. He thinks he's, he's science. He's, he, and so we have people that think they're, I mean, that, that, you know, why should I have to worry about God? He's not coming. We have churches, and uh, Dave and I have talked about some things, about churches that have, who cares about his coming? We are, we are interested in what God is doing for us today. And God wants us to be happy. And God wants uh, us to love everybody and, to, and to, to accept sin and perversions and all the rest. Folks, you realize that right now we've got church from major denominations in this county and one in this town that's flying the, the, uh, trans, the gay flag this morning. And just things where they've given up on the righteousness of God and all the rest, and after all, it's what we can do for ourselves. And this is basically where Israel was at the time of Jesus Christ. Where is the promise of his coming? Well, folks, if he did it one time, he can do it again. Amen? If the Lord Jesus came the first time, he promised us he's coming again. And what do, we, what do we want to be like? We want to know the word of God like Simeon did. We want to know, yes, there's going to be great victories. But we also know that there's going to be great struggles. Uh, the Bible tells us that they who walk godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's one of those promises of Paul that I don't like. How about you? I don't like the fact you will be challenged as a Christian, as a Simeon, as a person who stands for the Lord while everybody else has given up. You will be ostracized. You will be <coughs> categorized. You will be, uh, you will be disciplined. You will be, some, some people will be kicked out of their churches. Some will be kicked out of their jobs. All because they believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he coming, folks? <clears throat> the Bible tells us, as Simeon did, he had this hope in him, so he purified himself even as Christ was pure. <clears throat>
First John chapter three says, we that he that has this hope in him, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. Oh, that God can reveal his revelation to us. Oh, that we can see what God is doing in the world today through his eyes. And that we, as he did not, he was not discouraged, that we are not discouraged by the things that are around us, but that we are encouraged the fact to know that whenever these, all these things happen, look up for the Son of Man is coming soon. Do you believe it? I had an evangelist in my early ministry. <laughs> I never forgot it. But he said, you know, I really, he, this is his opinion. He said, I think the Lord Jesus is going to come during Christmas time because that's the one time when nobody's looking for him. We're so busy looking, doing all kinds of things with presents and all the rest. But are we really sanctifying ourselves? Are we really understanding what Christmas, the incarnation, is all about? And what it, how it applies to us? And the hope that it gives us, a hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> kind of a disjointed message this morning, but we hope that the Holy Spirit can take it and apply it to our lives. We pray, Lord, that uh, we, as we see the things surrounding us, as we see the hopelessness of the nations, as we see the cruelties and the viciousness of those in power, oh, Lord Jesus, may we realize that you're coming soon, that one day you're going to conquer sin. One day you're going to rule and reign forever and ever. But you're going to come and take your church home to be with you. And oh, may we be able to, when before the throne, that we can, seeing Jesus died, my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Oh, Lord Jesus, we look forward to you coming. But if we, Lord, pass on, we know that absent from the body, will be before your throne. Lord, may we have that hope within us and may we be looking forward and may we purify ourselves as you are pure. May we walk godly in Christ Jesus. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.